suckered right in. You love them. And soon if they will come to you that came to the disciples where they say, where else can we go, Lord? You have all the words that we need. Ah, it's wonderful to be captured. It's an old song that says, Lord, capture me because then I'll be free. No, that's true too. All right, let's sing this little prayer song because what happens is the Lord's looking right now as our brother shared last night. He's looking for somebody that he can see himself in. That's his bride. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. talking about uh, the mystery of love and and uh, this whole theme of the bride for the Lord Jesus Christ is actually quite a deep theme I mean you I, I I think you're aware of the fact that most Christians don't even really 
know that the Lord is waiting for them to be prepared as a bride. It's just a kind of a doctrine. They figure when they get saved, they're automatically going to be the bride, and they, they don't even think about it. But there's a lot of depths and mysteries in this whole thing of love. And uh, when you see this story of Isaac and Rebecca behind it, we see a tremendous love story. And I was just sitting back there as we were singing worship songs. <laughs> and I remembered back to 1971. And that, as I say, I was a young uh, evangelist. I don't know what you call it. And I had a Jesus band, and we traveled around and sang, and I wrote songs. And I remember one night out in a place called Port Jefferson out on Long Island, there's a young man about 19 years old. And he'd already been in the hospital in and out a couple of times because he was a schizophrenic. And uh, this guy, he, he'd been released and he was, you know, I guess taking his meds and he seemed pretty uh, stable at the time. And, and one night we were up there singing some songs and we had a youth group, something like this. And uh, he came up to me before the meeting and said, do you know, do you think I could sing a song? And I said, well, let me hear what you got. And he sang a song so beautiful that, of course, when the meeting started, I said, uh, you know, I, I just invited the guy up. I wish I could remember his name. It's escapes me at the moment. And he sang a song. And I only heard it once. I don't know if I can remember the whole thing, but it was just this. Because what this guy had done as a 19-year-old guy, and there with problems with schizophrenia and everything, he was discovering the mystery of love. So he did a song something like this. I just don't see why you do all the things you do. I don't understand what's in it for you. Do you know what love is? Not the kind the world talks about. help you find it out some people would like you to think that he's dead but the truth is Jesus died for you on Calvary to set you Another day is through. Why don't you love Jesus? See what he'll do for you. Do you know what love is? Not the kind the world talks. Jesus, you know what he'll do 
Lord, we live on this worldly, shallow plane where people really have no idea what love is. And here we're looking into the Word of God and seeing a triple layer of love that's so mysterious that we could hardly enter into the first layer of your saving love. But we pray by the Holy Spirit, at least we'll have a desire for something deeper, some fuller understanding, until we're ravaged by your love, absolutely surrendered to your will. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your dear children. Continue to work this day, even this morning, as we come to you. Now, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. We're tired. We could be easily distracted. But we ask that you would show us and lead us, help us understand this matter of being prepared as the bride for her husband. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're using the gobbledygook in there? Uh, again, we want to turn to Genesis chapter 24, the story of Isaac and Rebekah. I want to read some verses here because uh, today we're going to see uh, Rebekah. She does come on the scene here and we want to take a look. Genesis chapter 24. We've got to go back to the place where the servant, Eleazar, has taken the camel train and he's come to Nahor outside the village uh, in the, as the evening shadows fell. And uh, there he offers a prayer. And so we pick up in verse 12 of Genesis 24. And the servant said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down that uh, jar so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May it be that she is the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you are shown loving kindness to your master. Before he had finished speaking, Da -da -da. Here comes Rebekah. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham, brother, uh, Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar uh, to her hand and gave him to drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, You know, I'll draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all the camels. Meanwhile, 
The man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or no. When the camels had finished drinking, the man looked, uh, took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said, And we have plenty of straw and feed and room to lodge in. The man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. And then we jump down to verse 54 uh, to pick up uh, Rebecca's story again. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, uh, the servant said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, No, 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 let the girl stay for a few days, uh, ten days. Maybe after that she may go. He said to them, Now do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. How devoted this servant is to get the job done, you see. And they said, well, you know what? We'll call the girl and ask her what she wants. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebecca arose with her maids. They mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Re Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. This is four months later. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And as he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, the camel train was coming. Ere the evening shadows fall. I added that there. <laughs> Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, He is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And then if you'll just hold in uh, Genesis 24 there, but if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we just want to read a, co uh, a couple of verses there. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before Him in love. Here we have this wonderful story of Isaac and Rebekah. And as I've been trying to say, Behind the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their marriage, there's a deeper love story, and that's all about the father and his love for his beloved son. Before Isaac and Rebekah were ever thought of being married, 
Abraham was already making plans for his beloved son that he might be married and have offspring and that a whole nation would be born according to God's promise who promised Abraham that out of his seed should come uh, the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. So he knew how important it was that, I, uh, that Isaac find a bride. And it has to be the right bride because she's bearing a nation according to God's promise. And so Abraham is, is thinking day and night now as an old man. He's done everything for Isaac. He's given him millions of dollars and he's taught him how to be a faithful steward and a good businessman, how to deal with the Canaanite natives in the area, how to protect himself and all of these things. Isaac was no wimp. He was a man of stature. He had become a sheik there in the deserts and in the wilderness of Canaan. And uh, all those things Abraham had prepared him for but there's one more thing before he dies. This is the last thing Abraham does, in a sense. I've got to get this wife for my son. Now you see in that story, that wonderful picture, that actually this, this love between Isaac and Rebekah that we see at the end of the chapter is actually part of a larger triangulation of love. That is to say... Isaac and Rebekah were joined together because of the love of the father for the son and already we're into a mystery too deep to understand. How deep does love go? Paul says that we need to gather together as Christians just to survey the height and depth and length and breadth of this love of God. It's so deep and so incomprehensible. The first level of love that we discover Real love. Do you know what love is? Here's number one. Saving love. He loved us. He saved us. Why? Why, we answer. It's incredible why He would save us, especially some of us who are real rascals. And yet He loved us uh, tall and short and smart and dumb and, and bad sinners and just disobedient to parents. There's a whole range of us. He came to Calvary and died on the cross. That saving love. Who can understand the depths of that? But then the Lord takes us deeper into calling love. Not only did He save us, and it'd be enough if we were saved and just had a guarantee of heaven and then just lived down here like vegetables. But He has a calling love. He calls us to, to a purpose. He calls us to a job. He calls us to a quality of life. To be holy, He calls us. To fellowship with Him, He calls us. To go up to the heavenly way, He calls us. To serve Him, He calls us. To do good works, He calls us. Oh, His calling is out of love. He's not just... I mean, He loves us. And we find it in our calling. It's so fulfilling to serve the Lord. You just realize, wow, I, I was born to do that. you know what I mean? See, like this guy right here. Obviously, I'm looking at him. Now, maybe I'm wrong in my estimation. Because my first estimation was he was born to be a garbage collector. Now, <laughs> now you, you laugh. But see, you don't understand. In New York City, this is a top-notch job. Within about 10 years, you're making 100000 a year just hanging off the side of a truck, eating chicken you found in the garbage, and, and loading the rest of the stuff on. What a wonderful life. But you know what? I think this guy's too smart for that. But what was he? What? Oh, you say choose him? <laughs> no, no, okay, but listen. 
Here's the question. Now, what was he born to do? Do you know in the discovery of finding out what you are called to do in your life, you discover why you were born? Now I know why I was born, why I was brought into this world. And, and suddenly it's not just like, what am I doing here? What's going on? Why am I going to school? Why, why am I majoring in basket weaving at university? What is going on? But, but when you understand your calling, boom, you're off and running. I went through college. Man, I was at the top of my class at college after I got saved. Before that, eh, my grades were just average. But, uh, but you know why? It's because I caught something. I said, wow, I got a calling, you know? And I knew that God wanted me to go into business. So I majored in business. And of course, I never went into business. <laughs> but anyway, it got me through college. But you see, just to know what you're called to do makes such a difference, you know? God loves you. He's called you. But you know what? We're talking about a love yet deeper. We're talking about chosen love. Listen to that, Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as He chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, can you, can you even get a hold of this? Before you were born. Before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. Before you were ever in the womb of your mother. God had a plan for you. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. That you could be holy and blameless before Him in love. Ah, this is deep love. This is chosen love. To realize you've been chosen. What a tremendous thing that is. And you know what? I, I know we, we go through most of our lives and we never really realize how much God loves us. What a plan He has for us. As things go on this earth, even as Christians, we have so little idea of the preparations that God has made for our preparation. He's made tremendous. So I, 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 but I know you don't understand that, so that's why we use Rebecca to understand. Listen, let me put it to you this way. It was, I'm going to make it up. It was August 12th, 1312 B.C., August 12th at 4 p.m. as the evening shadows fell that the servant met Rebecca. Before that moment... What did Rebecca know about her destiny, her calling, her being chosen to be the bride for Isaac? What did she know about it? Nothing. She was wandering down. She probably threw some stones at some sheep on the way down with the water pot. She was just wearing her flip-flops and a cotton dress. You know, she wasn't even dressed up for the occasion. She hadn't even put on her makeup and lipstick. Forget it. She didn't even blow dry her hair. She just, you know, she was a wreck. She was just living her everyday life as a basic slave in the, in the, the household of Laban. You know? Had no idea. Listen, she had no idea Abraham was even alive. She had no idea that Abraham had become a huge sheik. She had no idea that Isaac was born. His name was Haha, And he was born late in Abraham's life. Or Hehe. I don't know. The translation is a little rough. Uh, and uh, this, this guy named Laughter has been made a billionaire. And he's learned how to rule and to reign as a sheik in the desert, a man well-respected. She knew nothing about that, that she was going to marry him. She just wandering around and you know, throwing stones at sheep. 
she has no idea that the servant has been on a camel train for four months trekking through the highways of the trade, uh, the, the, the eastern trade routes, for four months and a thousand miles to get to that place in that well where she was going to be. And she had no idea. And that's you and I. Do you have any idea of the Father's plans for you? Do you have any idea that Jesus dying on the cross had very much to do with you specifically and us as a born-again people? Do you have any idea to what lengths the Spirit has gone to arrest your heart and to bring you back to Jesus as the bride? We, 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 we are so shallow. We, we don't know. We'll go, well, of course, we can't see invisible things. I mean, you can't expect the Rebecca to wake up in the morning and say, Wait a minute. Mm, it's an east wind from the desert. I think there's a servant coming. Ten camels. I smell it. You know, we, we're not that spiritual. We, we don't have this kind of amazing prescience. We're just going about our life. And yet I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, you know something about Rebecca? This is just talking about humanly speaking. Rebecca was absolutely perfect for Yitzhak. Ha ha. Otherwise known as Isaac. Anybody here named Isaac? Ah, here he is. Hey, ha ha. You see, listen. Rebecca was perfect for Isaac. We see him when he's in the field. And what's, what's uh, Isaac doing in the field? He's meditating. He's got his little Bible. You, you know, there are, there are about two guys like this in the world. They're very spiritual. They're always reading their Bible and praying. There's two of them. And, and they both happen to be present here today. Hiding in the ranks. You don't even know them because they're so spiritual they don't even show up on the radar. You say, okay, here's the attendance. Uh, Joe, Schmo, uh, Doug, Fred, Charlie. Where's Charlie? Where's Charlie? He's reading his Bible. He's praying. That's Isaac. Meditative, introspective. And here's Rebecca. Practical spirituality. A real help me. Boy, I'm telling you what. When she came into the tent, Isaac says, Oh, I finally have a mother. I, I mean a wife. <laughs> I won't even go into that mystery. How uh, Isaac was greatly comforted. But let's put it this way. <laughs> When you married a guy, you are becoming a wife and a mother. Well, let's just leave it at that. She was perfect for him. He, she, was her, she was his complement in every way. What a perfect match. She was beautiful. He was rich. <laughs> we don't really know exactly what he looked like. We know what she looked like. They were perfectly compatible. You know, he, within two years, I guarantee you, he became a honeydew melon. Honeydew this, honeydew that. <laughs> okay, okay. What, and, but listen to this. Listen, you know how good she was? When, when she was pregnant with twins and they started fighting, she sought the Lord about what's going on. She had a spiritual side to them. And she got a prophecy that the older would serve the younger. And she believed it. So later on, when Esau says, I mean, when uh, Isaac says, you know what, I'm giving everything to Esau. 
Rebecca says, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. <laughs> and you look it up and know... Oh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> some folks not to use the nair on their chin today. Uh, you know, and you know what? When, when that happened, Rebecca said, no way, that's going to happen. Look it up in the record. It's Rebecca who decided to cheat and fool Isaac. Why? Because Rebecca believed the spiritual value of Jacob. And Isaac couldn't see it at all. She was perfect. She took care of him. And she taught Jacob how to love in such a way that he could love Rachel uh, when he finally married the right girl. <laughs> Uh, and, and he ended up learning how to love Rachel and how to love Leah and how to love all of his women <laughs> and uh, the sons. Now, he didn't learn perfectly because he, of course, you know what? Jacob grew up under the shadow. My dad loves Esau better than me. And Jacob raised kids and immediately turned around and said, I love Joseph more than the rest. <laughs> it's not good. He carried on a little problem there. But Jacob was able to go through the wilderness for years because his mother had loved him so. And when, she, when he left his mom's home, he never saw her again. She died. And, uh, but there was Rebecca, wonderful girl, absolutely matched, perfect for Isaac. Who would have ever expected it that the Lord could arrange such a thing? Do you believe the Lord has somebody for you? I don't know what level of faith you're on. I, I don't know if you're basically uh, chucking uh, mahjong uh, uh, things and, 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 and saying, oh, his name's Fred, I just read it here. Or if you use Ouija boards to find a husband. No, no, no. Unbeknownst to you, there's some preparations going on here. Beautiful preparations for your future. Believe me, there's a God who loves you and He knows all about you and what you need. He is not a careless God at all. This Holy Spirit understands the whole deal. And so we're going to see here now Rebecca coming on the scene and we're going to look at it this way. God prepared all things for this Rebecca. Uh, she was predestined. And so is the bride. Those who are saved. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Predestined to be his bride. Now, we want to look at the story in the two parts because we read those two sections in 24. And the two parts cover in a picture two very important points. And here's the two points. The first section, we answer the question, is Rebecca called to be the bride of Isaac? Her calling is the issue. And the second section we read near the end of the chapter, here's the issue. Is she the chosen bride for Isaac? Called, chosen. The two questions before us as we look at this story. Now, uh, we go back there to Genesis chapter 24. If you want to turn back there, you'll see. The first question is, is she called to be Isaac's bride? Well, now, uh, what does that involve? Well, now we see, if you look, we see a little picture of Eleazar in verse 21. As he meets Rebekah, we hear Eliezer watching, watching, watching. The man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Now Eliezer is watching to see if she's the called bride. Amazing. So when she comes on the scene, he 
he opens his eyes from his prayer and looks down and he sees this chick, uh, this girl. Verse 16. Now this is a good, this is, this is a good start. She was very beautiful. Oh boy. I know how's going to like that. She was very beautiful. Now, that's an optional thing, you understand. I mean, uh, you know, Jacob married Rachel and Leah. You know what? Leah turned out to be the better wife. I hope you realize that. But she had weak eyes, which is a crazy Old Testament way of saying, well, she wasn't the best looking girl. And yet she turned out to be the better wife. Remember that, guys. Some of the chicks who look the best, they're dimwits. Anyway, but but now Rebecca was very beautiful and she was perfect. So uh, it's just a cautionary tale. I always feel like to throw things out like that. Now the girl was very beautiful. Second of all, verse sixty, she was a virgin and no man had relations with her, and that's very important. And back in those days, it was very very important. Because if you had, uh, uh, if you married somebody and had offspring uh, by her, and she had had offspring by others, because don't forget, most of the time sexual relations in those days led to children, then you'd have a real dispute over inheritance and all this kind of stuff. You, you, you can't afford that. It's even beyond the sexual promiscuity issue, is the issue of inheritance. So, she had to be a virgin. She had to be faithful. She had to be pure, as our brother shared last night. Okay, well now there we go. That's one thing. That was, that's a good sign. The second thing he found out was when she said, he, he said, can I have a drink? She said, oh yeah, of course. She was gracious. Now things are really looking up. You know how sometimes girls will look good? Unfortunately, they're like Hollywood shallow. They're so into themselves, they're actually kind of nasty. What are you asking me for a drink? Why don't you go get one yourself? <laughs> Not her. Oh, of course. She took that you know, 20 uh, fucking jar off of her shoulder and Gave him something to drink. And then beyond that, oh, wow. She had a servant's heart. She said, wait a minute. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Ten camels. You know what? I'm going to water them too. Now, camels are, are real beasts. I mean, uh, Lucio, who rode a camel several years back, has still not gotten over the journey. Uh, it, it's such a rough ride. Uh, I think uh, he actually repented of a lot of sin while on that camel. <laughs> a real time of testing. And I'm also glad to see he's not here right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but you know what? Camel riding is no fun. And, and camels are nasty beasts. And camels have one thing going for them. I don't know if those two humps are two tanks of water. But they can go through a desert a long time just spitting and fuming and fighting each other. But when it comes time to stop and refuel... Baby, can they drink the stuff? And so I'm reckoning, let's say that this size, ten camels, one hump, two hump. I'm figuring Rebecca had to get 20 of these jars and throw them in the trough to feed those camels. Now that's no little job. Blowing the thing down, ringing that thing up, bringing it over, in the trough. She comes back, the trough's dry again. And she looks at the camels, they look up at her and spit. She runs back. 20 of these jars, man. This girl's got a servant's heart. Man, I only need to look and say, hey, man, this girl is great. And then he says, hey, uh, 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 can I stay in, at your house? You, you guys have a place where, for my camels? She says, of course. She's hospitable. 
Hospitable. Where do you find a woman who's hospitable? She's so hard to find. She's only located in Proverbs 31. <laughs> a hospitable woman. He says, oh. and beyond all of this, she is the fulfillment of the double fleece. Now you remember how Gideon threw out the fleece. You know, you know that story. Well, this was a double fleece. Lord, I pray that you bring to me a sucker, a, a woman who will give me something to drink and then feed my camels. Uh, one fleece, two fleece. And Lord, please let her be the one because I'm tired. <laughs> and he opens his eyes and here's this girl and she says, yes, here, drink. And yes, here, I'll feed the camels. Oh, man, could this be it? Could this be the answer to my fleece? Is this the girl called for me the bride of Isaac? But all of that means nothing. The girl could be beautiful. The girl could be hospitable. The girl could be friendly. The girl could even be willing to serve him. That's not the issue. There's only one issue, and here it is. Is she related by blood? That's the only one. It doesn't matter. See, if, if he had said to her, now, uh, who, who, who do you belong to? And, and uh, she said, well, I belong to the Kapusta Kid. Uh, he's a Babylonian guy and uh, he would have said uh, sorry that's not the answer I only got one answer somehow you got to be related to Abraham through Nahor because that's the only brother who lived in this area and she said yes of course I belong to so and so who is a so and so and so and so and so and we're of the parentage of Nahor that's why this guy went hallelujah he went right to the book of Revelation. And that, which was tough because they didn't even have the Old Testament in those days. And he went right to the book of Revelation and said, Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. This was the bride called, related by blood. And so our first answer to the question for us as Christians is this. The only ones who can be the bride are not those who are members of a church. They're not those who wear ashes on their head. They're not those who take communion on Sunday. They are those who have been born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be part of the family of Jesus and therefore the bride. On the other hand, everyone who is saved by the blood of the Lamb has been called to be the bride of Christ. Everyone who's born again. How wonderful it is. And it's not because of who they are. It's because of who the Lord is. We see there in Ephesians chapter 5. He uses a zip over there. We looked at those verses yesterday. How will this bride ever be ready? It's because the Lord Jesus has made full provision for her. Look there in Ephesians 5 and uh, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And listen to what Jesus has done by his work on the cross, that he might sanctify her, that means make her holy and pure, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself a bride in all her glory. Now I changed the church to bride because that's what it's talking about. He is able by what he has done to present to himself a bride in all her glory, 
having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And you know how we will be made ready as God's children to be a suitable bride for the Son of God? It's because of the finished work of Jesus. Because, because of what He did on Calvary and because of what He's doing by His Spirit, He will sanctify us. He will prepare us. He will iron out the wrinkles and take away the spots and present us to Himself. He has done the work presenting us to Himself. So we are called, called to be the bride. What a wonderful statement that is. You know what? Paul, Paul puts it like this. If you can look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, Paul just mentions this as it were in passing, but it's very important. Second Corinthians 11, verses 2 and 3. This is what Paul says regarding those believers who have been called to be the bride. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed, I espoused, I, you got engaged to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the servant deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of Christ. Right now, what does Paul call all the Christians he's writing to? You are betrothed, espoused, engaged. You're called to be the bride, and you're now engaged. And Paul says, my job now as a minister of the gospel, is to keep you pure. Keep your devotion simple. Not to let you get complicated by worldliness and even lose your uh, st uh, stainless position as pure before the Lord. Now, there's not one of us who even as espoused, to be honest with you, will not occasionally stain the garment. But if you are, are one of these who are betrothed and take it seriously and want to remain devoted and pure, you will immediately go to the Lord's provision and confess your sins and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and remove the splot that has come because of your sin. You must keep your garment clean. He gives us at our salvation a garment of righteousness. We wear robes of righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ, but here's the job. Keep them clean. And if you smudge them, confess your sins immediately. Don't let it stain and let, the, uh, be, let it become a permanent stain. Get it out. Cleanse it. Confess your sins. Say, oh Jesus, forgive me. Let your precious blood cleanse me. You need to do that in your lives, dear uh, bride-to-be. Remain spotless and pure in your desire for the Lord. Everyone who's born again is called. But how about chosen? Now, if you turn to Matthew chapter 22, everybody here has heard the phrase, many are called, but few are chosen. And it comes from Matthew chapter 22. And I want you to see it and understand the context because it's a very important matter. In Matthew 22, verse 14, there is the punchline of the parable that Jesus gives. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's the bottom line of his parable. 
Now let's go back at the beginning and see what his parable is about. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. That's the parable. He sent out slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, but they were unwilling to come. He sent other slaves, say, Every, tell everybody, the dinner, all things are ready. All the meat is ready. Everything is ready. But verse 5, they paid no attention. They went their way, one to his farm, one to his business. The rest even seized the slave and mistreated him and killed him. The king was enraged. Listen, my dear brother and sister in Christ, if you want to get the Father in heaven angry, you just tell him, I don't have time for your son. I'm sorry. I'm busy. I'm checking out my land. I'm doing business. I'm too busy at school. I don't have time for the Bible. I don't have time for Jesus. Now you let him know a father who gets mad. He is his beloved son, the crown of creation. We don't have time for him. That's what the parable is about when it says, Many are called, few are chosen. All the saints born again are called to be the bride, but now who's making excuses? That's the first problem. The second problem in the parable also, in verse 11, has to do with garments. That bride has made herself ready and she made herself this garment. And we'll have to talk about that, but you just see it in verse 11. When the king came and looked over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in the wedding garment. And so we're going to look at these two things. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called. Everybody who's saved has received the silver of redemption as a down payment, the partaking of the, uh, of the divine nature by the grace of God. You have received the garments of righteousness on your, in your life and God sees you as forgiven and righteous because of Jesus. Every Christian has those things. But many are called and few are chosen. Let me get right to the question. How do you know that you're not only called, but you're chosen? Now, Rebecca was called to be the bride. She lined up in every way, especially she was part of the blood-bought family. And she was beautiful. And she was hospitable. And she had a servant's heart. She was perfect and she was called because she was absolutely perfect for the son, Isaac. But she wasn't a chosen bride yet because something had to happen for her to actually be the chosen bride. And do you know what that is? What's the difference between those many who are called and those few who are chosen? It's one of those great mysteries, but listen, it's a mystery of love. And that's why it's hard to understand. But I'm going to give you the answer right now. I hope you hear me. The difference between many are called and few are chosen is this. Unfortunately, and I say this with grief, a relative minority of Christians say this. One thing was missing. Rebecca had to say, I will go now. She chose Isaac. And she therefore was the chosen. Who are the chosen? It's those who choose of their own free will to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not that you achieve some certain things. You know, the Bible in Revelation always talks about the called, the chosen, the faithful. That all goes together. Those are the ones who are the bride. 
The called, the chosen, the faithful. And how are those chosen chosen? Is it because they're better than the others? No. It's because they're willing to go. And when it came down to it right here, her family said, no, 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 stay in Babylon just another ten days and then go. And listen, Rebecca, wait till you finish college, then serve the Lord. And no, 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 wait till you get out of high school, or wait till you do this, or wait till you have more uh, sinful times in Babylon, and then go. The world was always saying, just wait another ten days, and then go. And in those ten days, you could be killed. In those ten days, you could lose so much in your life. But that's the way the world does it. If it knows it can't sell you on the fact of never following Jesus, then they say, just delay. Just delay. Don't take it seriously. Come on, enjoy your video games. Enjoy uh, those, those websites you shouldn't be on. Enjoy all those things that the Lucio was talking about last night. Just for ten days, and then you get serious about the Lord. No! No! I will go now! That's what she said. Her parents said, no, 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 please! See, they wanted to stay around and get drunk for ten days and cry. They're losing their daughter. Maybe they could wheel some more uh, treasures off the camels during the ten days. Who knows what's going on. The servant said, no. Are you ready to go? Then you're ready to go now. If you're willing to be the bride, then you make a decision now. I will go now. I think actually her brother was quite surprised that she said that. There's nothing they could do. They put her up on that ugly old camel with her, with her maidservant, whose name was Deborah, and they started out on that thousand-mile journey across the desert. She left the world behind her. It's interesting, of course, she left Babylon behind her. You see. She started out on the way. Uh, there's a wonderful Psalm 45, if you'll turn there, please. It's a psalm regarding the king of kings who's getting ready to marry a daughter of kings. And the first half of the wonderful psalm is all about the king of kings himself whose joy is above his fellows, who is, a, who is God but he is man and he's been anointed. And uh, there's a mystery there because prophetically Psalm 45 is talking about more than just the king of Israel. It's talking about the king of kings. But we come to verse 10 and the emphasis shifts from the king now to the one who's getting ready to marry the king. And it says this, Listen, O daughter. Give attention and incline your ear. Forget about your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift and the rich among the people will seek your favor. Listen, my daughter, here's the deal. Forget about the world behind you and he will desire your beauty. You know, one of the most beautiful things about a Christian, it isn't really how holy you are because that has to do somehow with the process of time and God's work in your life, but it's your desire that's beautiful to Jesus. If you desire to be his, to belong only to him, that is so beautiful to the king. To see this girl, in the worldly sense, turn away from everything and bow down to her husband-to-be. This is beautiful in the eyes of Isaac, beautiful in the eyes of the king, and beautiful in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to mince word on this thing because the Bible says if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And this is... 
the bridal preparation that we have before us. Now, I just want you to picture, here's what the, now, here's the deal. All you got to do is say, I will go now and let the Holy Spirit put you up on the camel and then he does the rest. Now, God is the one who sanctifies you, who takes out the spots and takes out the wrinkles. But he's got to have a willing, engaged, uh, holy person. Are you willing? Yes, Lord, everything for you. That doesn't mean he's going to take away your life and leave you in the desert somewhere. He's got a journey for you, a purposeful journey, a blessed journey. Can you just imagine them riding along? I mean, here, here she is. She's got her servant over here on this other camel and the camels are fighting each other. And the servant's out in front. And now they started out on the four-month, 1,000-mile journey. That's a picture of our Christian life. Once we decide we want the Lord only, it's a 1,000-mile, four-month journey through the desert to the king. Oh, get ready. Don't you hear the Eliezer call? You get up on that camel and start to go. Now, you know there's temptation out there in the wilderness. But the servant takes care of it. I imagine that uh, uh, about the third day into the journey, on an especially hot afternoon as they're riding along on the camels, wouldn't you know there's a camel caravan coming the other way, heading back to Babel. And those people on the camera say, Hey, hey, Becky, come on over here. We're going for a big party in Babylon. You know, it's the sun worship time. We're going to have beer and we're going to have, oh man, we got us a, 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 a six foot long TV screen and we're going to have a party, man. We got the latest uh, uh, boys from the hood are going to come and sing. And we got, man, you, come on, you got to come. And she says, Man, what am I doing in this desert? And, and this, with this old guy and these camels, I should go back with them. And they say, here, here's some trinkets, you know, because there's like a, a Mardi Gras that's throwing beads. <laughs> you know, just really doing a big number there. Just about the time she's ready to turn the camel around, the servant says, you know, that's not your home anymore. Your home's just over the hill. Come follow me. And she says, no, 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 that, that's right, that's right. Just in the nick of time, the Holy Spirit convinces us where our home really is. And so they keep on going. They wave goodbye. Hey! And then they put the iPods back in their ears and that's the end of that story. Well, then they go on. And you know what? She comes along to a place. And, 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 and Can you imagine this? She starts to reason out one day as they're traveling along. She, she figures this out. You know what? Let's see. Now, Isaac is a king and that means he knows how to use a knife and a fork. He knows how to speak the king's English. Uh, he is tall and noble and his garment smells of eau de cologne. <laughs> He's a sophisticated dude and I am just a country girl. Look at my dark tan and I... I, I, I and suddenly she feels like she's not worthy. I don't know if you've ever felt like that when you think about Jesus wanting you to be his, but you feel something like you're not worthy. And so she says, hey, 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 servant, take, take me back. I'm not worthy. I, I, I'm not a queen. This guy's the sheik. I'm just a jerk. Well, that's the way we all feel sometimes. What a disparity, you know? You know, well, she doesn't see it, but along through the desert, she's becoming more and more like Isaac. Why? Because the servant is telling Isaac's story. And so he says, that reminds me of the time when Isaac was 12 years old. 
and he just thought he was a little boy and his dad, Abraham, took him out to visit the ranch in Beersheba. And when the people from the ranch saw them, they fell off their horses and bowed down and said, Oh, Isaac, oh, Isaac. Isaac didn't realize he was a big shot. He's just a 12-year-old boy. But because he was Abraham's son, he was a big shot. Eliezer tells that story and she realizes, well, you know what? I guess Isaac had to sort of become worthy in a way too. So she continued along. And then uh, sometimes she would be overwhelmed by the training and say, this is too difficult. I don't know how to hold a knife and fork because you know what? I think uh, uh, God's instruments are chopsticks. And he says, no, 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 put that down. Silver Take the silver I lay them all out there on your camel. There's three spoons out this way. No, three forks out this way. And a knife and a knife. She's like, I, I, I can't. This is driving me crazy. I can't possibly be so prepared. So then the servant tells a story about how Isaac had to prepare for all of his duties. And sometimes he said, Dad, it's too much. I, it's hard to use an abacus and count all these sheep. There's millions of them. Suddenly she realizes, you know, it's tough. But we need to press on. And so, and then another time, maybe she, again, feels, I can't go on, I can't go on. And so the servant tells the story of when uh, Abraham, when Isaac was 21 years old, and, and Isaac loved him so, and they both went together to the altar on a three days journey. And they said, I can't go any further. But they said, we must go and be obedient to God. And whenever the servant tells you a story about Jesus, it encourages you along the way. That's why when you're on the camel, you're not just on a camel going through a desert. You're on a camel with the Holy Spirit, the most precious servant that's in the world. He'll tell you anything you want to know about Jesus. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. If you're discouraged, talk to Him. Don't, don't shut down on Him. Oh, the Holy Spirit, is, he, he knows stories. He knows the truth. He can talk honestly with you because this pilgrimage along the way, you've got to turn your back on battle. That's the deal. And for it, you get a journey. And uh, uh, maybe, I don't know, do you think Rebecca had a mirror while she was going down the desert? Occasionally, maybe she looked in a pond of water. She said, hey, I'm looking more like happy. <laughs> because, because the servant's telling her king stories and telling her that she's a sheik's wife. Telling her that she has a character and telling her of Isaac's character and she's becoming more like him. Says, you know what? I think I'm going to like this guy. I still haven't seen him yet, but I think I'm going to like this guy. Because the more the servant tells, the more she realizes, man, this is really noble. And she's being transformed every mile of that journey, every month of that uh, sojourn. She's being changed in the same likeness. And so, you know, the Bible says this. Behold, now we are the children of God. But it does not yet appear what we shall be like, except that when we see Him, we will be like Him. What a deal. Right now, we don't know exactly where we are. Where are we? We're somewhere between heaven and earth. Our life was hid with Christ and God in the heavens, but uh, we're still down here on the earth. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to know exactly where, where you're at. But this, this is what John said. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be like, but we know this. When we finally see Him at the end of the journey, we shall be like Him. And we shall see Him as He is. Oh, man. That's a wonderful day. I hope you'll stay on the journey, but you've got to decide, I will go now. 
The last thing I just want to mention is this thing about the garments. And if you look there in Psalm 45, we come down to verse 13 and we see that this girl is being made beautiful. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Now that's something only the Lord can do. The Lord is looking for people who are beautiful within. And that's not to say, I, I look around this room, man, some of you girls are beautiful. But God has to make you beautiful inside. I look at some of you dudes, handsomeville. But you know what? God wants you to be beautiful on the inside. That's something only the Holy Spirit can do. Change all that nastiness, and turn it into grace. Well, Rebecca had to go through the same training. Look at that. The king's daughter is all glorious within. But notice her clothing, her garments. Verse 13 of Psalm 45. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. And she'll be led to the king in embroidered work. And the virgins who companions will follow her will be brought to you. And, and she's talking about... See, back in the, in, in the Middle East, back in those days, here's the deal. Here's what happened. This whole thing was about the, the wedding dress. I mean, that's the deal. She had to get beautiful inside, but the wedding dress had to be made properly. And, and here's what they did. They took a beautiful piece of linen. Remember in, in Revelation chapter 19, she, the bride has made herself ready and she is given to be dressed in fine linen, bright and clean. But on that linen, she takes gold filigree, and that just means gold thread, and embroiders Jesus into that white garment. So here's a white garment and how did you get the white garment? Did you buy it? Did you steal it? It was given to you by grace. <laughs> Somebody nod their head. Yeah, I stole it. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> by grace you were given the garments of righteousness but now you sew Jesus into that thing. You embroider it and make it beautiful. You take that gold and you weave it in. You embroider this thing so that when they see you adorned for your husband, your husband goes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, look at that garment. It looks like me. It's got golden Jesus all over it. And it's got this most beautiful ornamented uh, garment. The linen garments given to you by grace. And these things, which the Bible says is the righteousnesses of the saints, is what it really says in the Greek. These, uh, the, the, this garment that she has made ready is the righteousnesses of the saints. And that means everything you do for Jesus. Every day you get up and read your Bible, there's a golden thread. Every time you're faithful to the Lord, there's a golden thread. Every time you witness for Jesus, there's a golden thread. Every time you truly worship God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's a golden thread. And you're producing this garment of beauty. Every time Jesus can be seen in your life, this is a thing. Are you preparing that garment? Are you doing these righteousnesses that God is calling you and asking you to do? That's how the bride makes herself ready. But don't forget. Now, I know it sounds overwhelming. Uh, how, how many of you guys, how many of you really know how to sew? Are good sewers? All right, one guy raised his hand. That's good. Okay. Now, uh, actually, some of the best sewers in the world are guys, right? But here's the deal. For most of us, uh, we're not too good at sewing, right? I, I can't even sew a button on. If I sew a button on, it'll be off tomorrow. Uh, but you know what? Here's the deal. Don't forget, we are making a bridal garment together with all the saints. 
because we are going to wear the garment together. So you know what we're having? An embroidery bee. You know what that is? Yeah, okay. You, you know what? Uh, the first, when, I, I was going, when I was going to seminary to study for the ministry, I was a Baptist pastor out in the country up in Indiana, southern Indiana. And up there in southern Indiana, they were all farmers. And the wives would have quilting bees. And they'd take patches of de- uh, colorful cloth and they'd come together and they would uh, quilt and here's what they do. They would quilt a quilt, uh, several in a day, and then uh, sell those quilts. To, you know, they had to sell it to their own husband, you know. Oh, that's wonderful, honey. I'll give you 50 bucks for it. It was worth about 12. But, you know, <laughs> husbands are always honeydew. And, uh, but, you know, and then we would take, they would take that money and give it to missions. It was called a quilting bee. So all the sisters came together and had a quilting bee. And everybody had a patch. You had this blue gingham, and you had this yellow thing. And when you patched it together, you made this quilt. Man, it looked beautiful. Well, that's what we're in. Look at that person next to you. It's an embroidery bee. They had a golden thread. You had a golden thread. Because don't forget, in any good embroidery, there's always whoop and warp. Woof and warp. Woof and warp. No, warp and woof. Right? You know what that means? That means, uh, this is, I think this is the warp and this is the woof. And they have to intertwine like this. You come down here with the thing, then you go, you bring another one down. So you got the warp and the wolf when you're making something. See? So everybody is just like this. And, and that, that's why sometimes you get, the, uh, uh, you, you know, you get poked by somebody. It's just their needle. They're, they're embroidering Jesus and they have to poke you in the process. And we're in this embroidering together. So listen, you know when Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back and you're going to be on your camel with the other brothers and sisters and you're going to be in an embroidery bee and you're going to be embroidering Jesus into your life. And Jesus is going to say, that's good enough for me. Hallelujah. The bride has made herself ready. I have to run from here this morning because I'm doing a wedding this afternoon. And my one hope is, oh, will the bride be ready? We're supposed to have a thing outside at 430 you know, if she's late, I could be standing there drenched in the pouring rain. Where's the bride? Where's the bride? Ay, ay, ay. Ladies and gentlemen, is the bride ready? Are you making yourself ready? I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. But have you said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I love you with all my heart, and yes, I will go. I will leave behind. Now, I will leave behind idols. Now, everybody's got idols. Even as Christians, in First John, at the end of the First John, it says, "Now, uh, dear children of God, don't uh, have anything to do with idols, because Christians, every one of us, have an idol from Babylon that we have to get rid of. That's the deal. Are you willing to go now? You need to turn your back on those things. That's why all of these songs we sang this uh, song about: Have you heard him? Have you seen him? It's all about getting rid of idols." And it's when you see the beauty of Jesus that you lay the idols down. Now we come to the end of this time and I just want to tell you one more thing to encourage you. If you're willing, the Holy Spirit will prepare you. I don't want you to get worried and say, well, I, I, I know I'm called, but I don't know if I'm elected. Called and chosen. How do you know you're chosen? Because you want to be the bride of Jesus. 
And if that's your desire, the Holy Spirit has tremendous power to keep you from falling and to present you faultless to your Isaac, the Lord Jesus, at the end of your journey. So I just want to close with three scriptures. And there's three scriptures that just show us how dedicated God is to making us ready as the bride. Here we go. Let's look at three and then uh, we're done. First one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You, you probably know all these scriptures, but it's worth underlining if you haven't done so in your Bible. Chapter 5, verse 23. Now here it talks about God, because of course the Holy Spirit is God, but this is the Holy Spirit's work in this present time in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now... May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will do that if you will ask him to. He will preserve you and sanctify you entirely. What a wonderful promise. 1 Peter chapter 5. After Hebrews comes James and then 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Well, let's just go to verse 10. The whole thing is really about following the Lord, but we'll just do verse 10. After you have suffered a little while in the world because of your righteousness... After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh God, sometimes we feel like we're suffering in this world with temptation and with our friends who get after us. But you know what? God comes along himself and begins to bless us and strengthen us, etc., and then just before the book of Revelation, we find the book of Jude. And in, his, in, in the last verses of this book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And I picture you stumbling with the camel, you know. It's a tough journey. To make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Oh, the day that you stand before Jesus... You'll be so happy that you wove that garment, that you stayed faithful to him, that you remained pure through all the temptations. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I want us to bow our heads in prayer, and I'm going to ask if there's any here who are at that point of decision you know you're saved you know you're called to be the bride but you feel inside the Holy Spirit saying will you go now I'm on my mission for my master I don't want any more delay are you willing to go now to turn your back on the world to turn your back on that idol that's in your life and you know what that idol is are you willing to do it and follow Jesus let the Holy Spirit do this work in your life and prepare you as the bride. If that's the case in your life, Lord, we pray for everybody in this room that you give them a sensitive and honest heart 
We don't want fakers. We don't want fooling around. But we want honesty before God. And as we stand before you, Lord, and know that the work of the Holy Spirit has prepared so much for us, Lord, grant us to be honest before you. Every head bowed. I want you all praying, but I'm going to open my eyes and I want to see if you're ready to go now. If you have in your heart, I will go now, like Rebecca said, I want you to raise your hand so I can see you. I will go now. And uh, you're raising your hand. Is just I, There's many hands raised here. This is just an outward indication of what I, 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 I trust is in your heart. I will go now. Jesus, I love you so much. There's no one else I'd rather spend eternity with. Jesus, I'm willing to be prepared as a, as a wise virgin. I will go now. Anybody else? All right. You put your hands down. I, I saw those who raised their hand. I know that there's some who have come to that crossroads already in your life. I'm, I'm not asking you to do anything now. But Lord, I just want to come to you and give you thanks for these, your dear children. They've all been saved by your grace. They're wearing the garments of Jesus and even have some fragrance of Jesus in their lives. Oh, Lord, I pray by your Spirit, keep them from falling. Present them blameless before the Lord in all majesty and glory. Lift us up from our worldly domain. Give us heavenly thoughts, purity of life. Lord, may, may our lives be those that are truly pursuing even until you come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.